if it's true that patients often see what we don't, and by we I mean healthcare providers, do we always want to know what we've missed? And by no, I mean, are we ready to listen, take in the information, and use it to, to make care better, not just for one individual patient, but for all patients? What are the optimal ways for patients and providers to communicate about safety, to take the fear and intimidation out of initiating conversations for patients, and the hurried manner and frequent defensiveness out of the provider's response? Patient engagement with patient safety is a necessary but still maturing field, which is why we're continuously trying trying to get the kinks out to remove the barriers. What are some fresh and powerful approaches? So that's what we're going to focus on, on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show. We fondly refer to it, from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you bi-weekly and also for your later listening and convenience, we hope, via IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. So this is a special WIHI today. Many of you are chatting in that it's special because the sun is shining and spring has sprung, so that's one reason. Uh, other reasons are we started an hour earlier, Eastern Time, and at 15 minutes past, but we're also taking advantage of research on patient engagement that's being presented at the 2013 International Forum on Quality and Safety in Healthcare that's underway this week in London, co-sponsored by IHI and the BMJ. Two guests are coming to us live from the Excel Conference Center in London. Our third guest is in Chicago, I believe. So this is really exciting, and also I want to remind anybody, if you are only joining by phone and you're not... uh, able to join by computer. You can get anything we're talking about, including any slides, uh, by emailing info at IHI.org, either during the program or immediately after. So let me now introduce our guests and a reminder that their longer bios and all sorts of achievements and accomplishments over the years are on the WIHI webpages on IHI.org. They also, uh, you can Google any of these individuals and find out all kinds of great stuff. First, Susan Chrysos is a Senior Research Associate with the Decision-Making and Organization of Care Research Program at Newcastle University in the UK. Her current research focuses on patient engagement and involvement in their health care and, and in improving patient safety. Welcome, Susan. Hi, thank you. All right. She's there in London. Next to her is Jane O'Hara, a senior research fellow at the Bradford Institute for Health Research in the UK, working in quality and safety. Based at the Institute's Yorkshire Quality and Safety Research Group, Dr. O'Hara is an applied psychologist with an organizational and health psychology background. Welcome, Jane. Thanks, Matt. All right, wonderful. Martin Hatley is CEO of Project Patient Care, a Chicago-based coalition dedicated to using the voice of the patient to improve care. Currently, Mr. Hatley, actually, I'm sorry, I promised to say Marty. Currently, Marty is active in the Partnership for Patients campaign, an initiative launched in 2012 by the U.S. government, uh, numerous NGO partners, uh, and 3,700 U.S. hospitals, all committed to measurably reducing hospital-acquired harm by 40% and hospital readmissions by 20% before the end of 2013. Wow, that's this year. Okay, so um, welcome, Marty. 
Thanks, Matt. Happy uh, to be here. All right, wonderful. All right, so you get the connections. We've got Cambridge, we've got Chicago, and we've got London at the Excel Center. And behind the scenes there, wonderful Beth and Yael of uh, the IHI staff helping to make all this possible. I'm going to start off with a question for all three of my guests, uh, kind of an opener and a warmer upper, you could say. I'm going to start with Susan, then Jane, and then Marty. Um, and these are quick responses, so we'll have plenty of time to get into the substance of what each of them has been thinking and working on, but these are just quick replies. I am sure there's a consensus on this program today that patients and families need to be involved in patient safety at numerous levels, and many people joining us today have been working on this goal for one, two, or more decades. Starting with Susan, what would you say is the biggest accomplishment so far? Again, kind of quick, and the biggest lingering problem or disconnect. Susan, start with you. Okay, uh, I think I would have to say that the biggest the biggest accomplishment is um, uh, to say that the worldwide mobilisation of health and healthcare organisations to raise awareness of patient safety within their respective nations and institutions and their collaborative efforts to improve patient safety internationally. And where I see the biggest disconnect is that all this fantastic work and effort doesn't yet appear to have filtered down to raise a similar level, level of awareness amongst patients or the wider general public or even frontline healthcare staff, at least here in the UK. Okay, thanks, Susan. Jane? I guess for me, um, coming from a sort of patient involvement and patient safety background, it's really that patient feedback on safety um, is now being much more regarded as a potential source of information um, alongside other error detection methods. And I suppose um, the biggest kind of disconnect or the biggest barrier is, is the converse to that, which is that perhaps we've still got a lot of you know, work to do to convince staff that actually patients have a role in identifying patient safety incidents or that they have a role indeed in ameliorating patient safety incidents whilst they're occurring. Mm-hmm. Okay, Jane. Marty? Um, I think the, the biggest accomplishment mm-hmm. is actually seeing patient engagement connected to um, safety and outcomes. A lot of our early patient engagement work here was really not connected to safety and outcomes. It was connected to other things in the patient experience. I would say the biggest challenge is the same thing. We've uh, Most of that journey is still ahead of us, but we've got some great examples now of systems that have done that, so we're building on those. Okay, great. Thank you all very much. All right, Susan, now back to you. And I want to begin with the research you helped lead at the Institute of Health and Society at Newcastle. Uh, you and your colleagues were trying to understand the ideal versus the reality and especially why patients uh, don't often feel as empowered as we might like them to be. Uh, it's a little bit of, you know, patients are from Venus, providers are from Mars. There's, there's often ways that people are talking maybe past each other. So uh, if you could kind of tell us a little bit about this, the study uh, that you worked on and, and a reminder to everyone on WHI, as always, we are... We are really boiling down a lot of material uh, into very sort of nuggets that we hope you can walk away with and learn more about. So uh, bear with us. I also want to say that John uh, got there very quickly. He's going to put something right into the chat. Uh, he put these two handouts that Susan shared with us into something called Imager or an Imager kind of software thing, uh, which you can take a peek at as soon as uh, John posts that link. But Susan, why don't you go ahead? Okay. Okay, well, um, 
Excuse me. My colleague and principal investigator on this study is Professor, Professor Richard Thompson, and our study set out to develop an intervention that would aim to encourage and support patients, families and healthcare staff to work together collaboratively to improve patient safety. And the reason why we chose this approach was because even though there are many apparently quite promising approaches already out there that aim to engage patients and families in improving their safety, the patient uptake and response to the advice they provide is quite erratic and um, sometimes problematic. So if I use the UK-based Clean Your Hands campaign or the Please Ask campaigns as examples, these approaches encourage patients to ask healthcare professionals questions like, for example, have you washed your hands, or to ask for clarification of something that they have been told and didn't quite understand. Um, I think despite wide, widespread dissemination and promotion of these campaigns, there is still little evidence of patient adoption of the suggested behaviours, and there continues to be growing concern that um, pushing improvement in this way might actually have unintended negative consequences. Um, and that's because patients tend to, um, don't tend to appear to be overly keen or comfortable about asking questions, especially those that appear to be challenging or criticising staff. Um, patients and relatives worry that they might upset their carer and in doing so that their care may be compromised in some way. And on the other hand, staff appear to um, quite unprepared for these uh, newly activated patients. And um, there have also been concerns raised about the potential damage to staff morale from feeling overly scrutinised. So that raises a number of concerns really um, here, and one of, one of which is the potential for these types of approaches to cause damage to the patient-provider relationship. And it also begs the question about how acceptable this sort of one-sided approach to patients um, and healthcare staff. Um, and it was suggested that this may well be because patients, families and frontline healthcare staff were rarely involved in the development of these initiatives. So our, our project based in Newcastle basically went back to basics and um, our project, um, and in doing so, we aim to address that gap where um, patients and healthcare staff hadn't been involved in the development. And we used core design principles to develop an approach that is fully informed by and grounded in the patient and provider perspectives. So what we did initially was to speak to um, patients, their relatives, and healthcare staff. And uh, healthcare staff, I mean, a range of doctors from senior doctors to junior doctors, um, different levels, grades of nursing staff and nursing auxiliaries on wards in secondary care hospitals. And we asked them about what they thought patients and families might be, might be able to do to help improve patient safety and how best we might support them in doing that. And, and we did this via face-to-face -face, um, interviews. What we also did was look at the current evidence for interventions to promote patient involvement and patient safety. And then we identified, we went on to identify relevant behavior change theory and we also did a very, very broad international scoping exercise of ongoing initiatives within key organizations um, with the aim of identifying current best, best practice. Um, and though we were hoping to identify novel ideas in, in the, um, the respondent groups that we were talking to, our, our overall aim wasn't necessarily to reinvent the wheel, um, but rather to address potential shortcomings in the design of current intervention approaches. Um, and then from this very broad groundwork of establishing an, an evidence base, we again worked with patients, healthcare staff in this core design pr process within a series of iterative interactive workshops to develop the first conceptual basis for our approach. 
and then the actual intervention materials, which I think you would like me to talk about a bit later on, Madge, rather than now. Uh, sure. We were thinking that we might just kind of lay out some things and then we'll get back to some of the, the tools. Um, but uh, yes, that sounds right. Yep. Okay. So um, in our study, to our knowledge, this was the first qualitative exploration of the patient role in improving patient safety. That includes both perspectives the perspective of patients and frontline healthcare staff. So we were able to get some quite unique insight from both viewpoints about the key barriers and enables for adoption um, of these sort of asking and telling behaviours that we were that were being promoted and, and that are quite essential to um, a patient role in improving patient safety. So from the patient's perspective, it was quite clear that their providers' acceptance and approval of their involvement was paramount to them asking questions and so forth. Uh, of course, as I said earlier, the well-reported fear of upsetting staff was very evident in, in the respondents that we spoke to. Um, even in patients who in their day-to-day -day lives were very confident and, and held professional roles. Um, so there were concerns about um, being reprimanded as well or that their care might be compromised in some way. Real, real concerns for patients and staff, uh, patients and relatives rather, and major barriers to them engaging directly with healthcare staff. Um, you were also curious about how staff felt about these Yes, absolutely, because it's it's really interesting um, whether the people are having the same experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, quite surprisingly, I mean, not not surprisingly, but staff generally empathised with patients' fears, um, and some even expressed the same fears for themselves or their or their relatives if they were in in the position of the patient or a relative who who was um, looking after a patient. So there wasn't necessarily. Um, surprise there. It was more an understanding of an, an, and empathy for how vulnerable and intimidated patients can feel due to their illness and the unfamiliarity of being in the hospital environment. Um, but there was also recognition amongst staff that they needed to be more proactive. They, they could see that their, their role in, um, in engaging patients and involving patients in their care and encouraging that engagement was, was paramount, that they needed to be, they needed to take on that proactive role and engage their patients and make them feel able and comfortable to ask questions and voice concerns. Right, so somehow to kind of lay the groundwork differently, to actually open up the opportunity. Definitely foster that engagement from right. patients. Okay, so uh, that's that. Is that sound good in terms of just kind of laying out the research? And I uh, hope people can um, access. Uh, maybe John, throw those uh, links in again. Just recopy them and whatever. Um, we we they're such they're kind of neat handouts, and we just didn't want to break it all up in, into slides. Um, and if you're having any trouble accessing the link, maybe we can send those handouts to CSI uh, directly, John, as well. And um, that's our info at ihi.org so they can send them to you. Okay, thanks, Susan. All right, Jane, um, so I borrowed shamelessly uh, from your work uh, in, in the title of the show and in my own remarks. They see what we, they <laughs> yeah. see what we don't. I hope that was okay. Um, so yeah. with that as the backdrop, so tell us about this intervention known as PHRASE, P-H-R-A-S-E, and you can tell us what that stands for, why it was developed and what you learned in, in your team's work. Okay, so um, we'll just obviously I work quite closely with Susan and she's given you a little bit of the background. But just to say that this is part of a large program of work that has been funded by the National Institute for Health Research, um, which is kind of UK government organization. And the aim of the entire program grant um, is to actually look more closely at how we can involve patients 
across different patient safety initiatives. And both Susan's and I, and, and, our, and our work that I'm representing today is, is, is part of that wider research. Um, the, the work that, that, that um, I'm talking about today um, and that my colleague, Professor uh, Rebecca Lawton, is presenting tomorrow is, is really to look at how um, we can develop a patient safety intervention which is based on a patient well, patient, based on patient feedback about the safety of their care. Um, alongside Susan, we've also used um, robust methods to develop this intervention um, across um, a three-year period so far, and it will be going on for another two years. And it's very much been uh, based in co-design principles, so that to, uh, to work with both patients and staff um, in the sort of um, development, both, you know, from the, the very inception of the ideas through their development um, through to um, the sort of the trialing of, uh, of this intervention. And it's very much about um, getting patient feedback about their experience of, of safety on a ward and then feeding that back to ward staff um, with the idea that it, it can then inform local action um, to help improve um, future patient safety performance. Now, I suppose the, the kind of theoretical background to this work is the sort of organizational accident model by Jim Reeves and, and, and others. Um, and uh, it's very much based in a sort of systems approach um, to looking at patient safety, uh, where there is no kind of one cause of medical error, and actually that we need to understand more about the different levels um, of contributory factors. And that we, we very much feel that um, patients can be involved in the identity the um, identification of uh, contributory factors to future error. And that's really the kind of focus of, of our work. The intervention, um, which is called, which is the, the praise intervention, which is patient oh. reporting and action. <laughs> I said phrase. I'm so sorry. You did. You did. <laughs> oh, my apologies. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the, yeah, the praise intervention, patient reporting and action for a safe environment. And it's based on uh, two tools which we've developed over the past three years. Um, the first tool is um, called the patient measure of safety. And it's a, a very traditional sort of questionnaire. Um, but the novelty here is that we're asking patients to identify things which we know from the literature um, are contributory factors to, to future error. And the other tool that um, informs the intervention is um, a, a patient um, reporting tool where they can report to us um, their safety concerns and experiences. So really those tool, two tools together um, aim to capture things that have happened um, that the patients can report, but also um, things that um, we know might contribute to future error, um, and that is the, the patient measure of safety. So we have both leading in indicators of future patient safety performance, uh, but also ret retrospective um, patient-reported patient safety outcomes. Um, what these two tools do then um, is to collect that information from patients over a two-week basis, and then we collate this information together and we feed that back to ward staff. Um, who are then asked to um, consider the information and look at areas where they're perhaps not doing so well as, where, as well as um, areas where they're doing very well, um, and then to kind of action plan um, against that information um, that, that has come directly from patients. 
So the way that they do that is to potentially to go to the questionnaire data first and to look at the scores. It's a, you know it's the sort of information that they're traditionally used to looking at. But also what we like about this um, intervention is that we've very much got the patient stories. We've got the patient reports about their experiences of safety. So we see that very much as a sort of flesh on the bo bones of the, the scores that we're getting out of the uh, patient measure of organizational safety. And this action planning process then um, feeds into changes that, that staff make uh, in order to make improvements on the ward. And then it goes in a cycle whereby um, you have another measurement phase and then another action planning phase. So this might seem like a very simple and kind of classic intervention cycle, but I guess the novelty here and the thing to stress is that um, we're asking patients using very structured and robustly developed tools um, about information um, you know, in terms of how safety has been on the ward for them. Um, and, that, and that includes, as I say, you know, leading indicators to future um, error, but also things that have happened to them whilst they've been on the ward. And this is very different, obviously, to, to things that are currently being collected in the UK, we feel, and presents um, the opportunity for um, health service organisations to very much learn from this new angle in terms of um, the pa patient feedback. Interesting. Uh, and again, my apologies, it's praise. And we're just going to, um, for those of you who are online, uh, Jane had a lot of really interesting uh, slides, which I do think will merit uh, looking at more carefully some of the things that they collect, uh, the types of things that patients are reporting on. And then uh, there's one more, John, that sort of has a little more narrative um, in terms of uh, actual things that uh, patients say uh, ha have gone on uh, in, in their care. Um, yeah, so that's, I, I think this is, uh, again, you can um, access uh, these things online uh, from IHI.org. We'll have it all up there by tomorrow morning and right now from info at IHI.org. Thanks, Jane. Um, I, we're going to sort of circle back. We hope you all are going to have a lot of questions uh, about this. Somebody wondered if this is a little bit um, similar to something I think JCI referring to Joint Commission International, so we'll, we'll be happy to talk about that. Uh, so Susan, Jane, and now Marty, uh, to you, uh, as somebody who's been engaged with these issues globally, um, I guess my first question is how does the work we're hearing about today uh, – uh, inform or compare with what we've been doing uh, with some of these issues, patient engagement with patient safety here in the States, and some of the ways that you find this work uh, relevant and synergistic perhaps with what you're involved in. Welcome again. Um, great, Mitch. Thanks for including me. Um, it certainly informs the work we're doing in the States. Um, I found both presentations to be really interesting. Um, I've got a couple questions I'd like to just kind of tee up that kind of caught my uh, my interest as I heard them speak. Um, one is for Susan, really, whether there were generational differences in um, in your sample, because when we talk to people here, uh, young people here, about whether they're reluctant to ask questions or give feedback, I mean, they almost laugh. They live in such a world where feedback and question answering is the norm, and yet we hear a lot about the fear that people have. So we were wondering if that's sort of a generational thing. Um, I'm also really curious about how this work um, really um, can inform our efforts to help people get over the hump of being an active patient participant, so get over the fear of asking questions. I don't know if there's anything that comes out of the research that can inform that, because that, 
seems to be a really big problem here. We hear it all the time from the hospitals that we work with, is that they just can't get patients engaged. Um, the reporting stuff that Jane talked about is, um, I think, terrifically interesting. We've been talking about reporting. There have been some design projects um, here in the U.S., but we really don't have reporting off the ground. Um, there have been a couple of um, interesting private um, studies done, neither of them published, where um, healthcare systems dug deep into their uh, into the narrative reports that they get from patient satisfaction surveys, mm-hmm. and um, they they've found things reported there, uh, critical events, sentinel events that weren't reported by providers or through other kind of incident reporting mechanisms. But we're really intrigued by you know what we can learn from you know this extra set of eyes and ears and participants in healthcare that you know we, we don't really design our reporting systems for them. So I thought that was really exciting and. Um, and informative to hear about. Thanks, Marty. So I, I think what we'll might what we'll maybe do is hold that thought. I know Marty teed up a question for for Jane probably and Susan both. So hold that thought. I'm going to circle back to it. Why don't you just uh, explain though uh, before we do um, some of the ways that you would say see the Partnership for Patients initiative and particularly the patient engagement part of the Partnership for Patients in the U.S. Uh, how that might be a, a parallel. Uh, endeavor and uh, one in which we can all learn from as well. Okay, great. So the Partnership for Patients, which you um, um, introduced when you introduced me, Madge, um, great, here's the slides, is a, is a frankly a thrilling initiative that we've got going here, um, supported by government, um, a very, very, um, whoops, back to the first slide, please. Yeah. Those are the important goals. Uh, but it's a 40% reduction in hospital-acquired conditions, a 20% reduction in readmissions. Uh, we think there'll be a lot of dollars saved. There have been projections there. And it's been a, a, a very high-profile campaign launched in October of 2012, and um, it'll be over in 2013. I'm sorry, October of uh, – I mean, it, it was launched in April of 2011, and it will be over at the end of this year. Huh. So we're in the final stretch of really meeting these very thrilling goals. Could have the next slide. Okay. These are the 10 things that we're actually measuring to see if hospitals are making progress um, in these things. Um, but the key concept here is, is in the heading. It's preventing harm across the board. So we really want to see the hospitals engaged in this campaign um, going after these 10 things which we'll measure. But the overall concept is these are just the things that we can measure in assessing whether people are, whether hospitals are preventing harm systemically in a high reliability way, in a consistent way that really keeps our patients safe. Um, next slide. Okay. When we think about patient engagement, we're, we position patient engagement as a change engine in this work. So what we're saying to the hospitals that, that are involved is that if you engage patients and families, um, you are going to be more likely to um, achieve these, uh, these goals. And the other change engine, just so you have kind of the complete um, group, is leadership is a change engine. Um, physicians are a change engine in community. So we're really positioning uh, patient and family engagement as sort of a key um, strategy for getting these things done. And we're looking at it in, a, in kind of a typical framework that I think many countries probably use, many people on this phone probably are familiar with, but looking at engaging patients at the point of care, in their own care really, in the safety of their own care, and then kind of at the improvement level um, sort of mid to top of the organization uh, where policies are made or where improvement work is done, and then at governance. 
And the exciting thing about the campaign is that we've begun to measure whether hospitals are actually engaging patients here. And our measures are pretty new. We just launched them in January, so we don't have great data. But we're going to look at five measures across all the hospitals. One is just whether there's a, uh, an engagement of the patient um, at, at or before admission in kind of the discharge process. We want to bring patients along through their entire journey in a hospital to get them to be prepared when they leave. Um, bedside shifts is another point of care intervention. At the policy level, we want to know whether there's a dedicated person in the organization who's really, whose job it is to engage patients and whether or not there's some sort of a formal structure, either a patient family advisory council or um, perhaps inclusion of patients in existing um, improvement committees, that kind of work. And then we're going to measure governance, too. Is there actually a person who represents the patients at the governing level of the organization? We've just got three months of data so far, but we're already seeing a correlation between organizations that are strong on leadership in patient safety and strong on, um, on patient engagement. It's a weak correlation, but we think that's because our data is new. This just gives you a, a sense of the scope of, of this effort. We have 3,700 hospitals involved in this. Um, and that's out of about 4,400 hospitals in the United States total, so we have a big sample. Um, you can see that 62% um, have at least one patient family engagement metric that they're doing, and 4% 4, 4 have, um, have all five. So lots of room for progress there, but um, just tracking this is something that hasn't been done certainly in this country before. So we're really excited about the ability to just kind of get a picture of what hospitals are doing to engage patients. Next slide. I wanted to share this, too, um, www.aha.org. AHA is American Hospital Association. But they just published in January a new framework here. Um, this is the cover of the document. If you could go to the next slide for engaging users. One more slide here. Okay. Um, and what I like about this framework is it extends patient engagement beyond hospitals. And if you look at the four boxes over on the left, community, organization, healthcare team, and individual, those really map to the four levels of transformation that the IOM articulated, um, basically individual, microsystem, organization, and external environment. So just tracking all of these kinds of ways, opportunities to engage patients across a broader framework is a very exciting document that was just put out a couple of months ago. So we're really looking at how to expand the work that typically happens in hospitals into kind of the wellness piece at the individual level and also the policymaking piece at the, at the top level. We have stories in our country of patients that have been actively engaged in actually getting standards of care changed because of important stories that they've brought to the attention of lawmakers or regulators or policymakers. So it's a, sort of a bigger picture of the things that are going on in this country that we're really excited about. And then the last slide, Madge, this, this is basically um, an institute comprised of um, a few people who've just put our tools together. They're all public domain tools. H2PI.org is the organization. If you want to go there, everything that we use is sort of um, up there for free. And I just like to offer something whenever I present. Um, the, the tools really are the ones that I use frequently that um, some patient advocates by the name of Victoria and Armando Nahum use. Uh, they've got a very, very deep um, concern for infection control. And then a physician by the name of Tim McDonald, who's done a lot of work on disclosure and working with patients, families, and, and frankly, uh, frontline health care workers after an event occurs to learn from it and make and turn it into safety. So that's my giveaway for today, my offer. And, um, <laughs> and thanks, for the, thanks for the space here to, uh, to kind of give you this framework. Oh, wonderful. Now, don't go anywhere. <laughs> thank
thank you so much, uh, Marty. And we, again, we shoot through some things kind of quickly, but you're free to download all of this and follow up on it more. It's neat to see this website. All right, your mention of tools, great segue. Um, I want to go back to Susan. We're going to take just a few more minutes, everyone, before we open things up for your questions and comments. Every now and then we try a different thing with our chat screen here. This In this show, we've kept it open. That uh, enables some of you to start talking with one another. Uh, soon we're, we'll, we'll be asking you to uh, kind of queue, we'll queue up some questions from everyone. Um, in the survey, if in any way you find the chat uh, distracting, let us know. We're just always trying to find out what's the magic here of uh, trying to enable a lot of things to go on in this environment. There's a, a great networking opportunity I know that happens in the chat as well. So Susan, let me go back to you and talk a little bit. Marty mentioned tools. Uh, what are some of the tools uh, that you've been working on as well? Okay. Um, well, in collaboration with our study patients and healthcare staff, we developed a, a complex intervention that we, we, we sort of branded ThinkSafe, um, which comprises four distinct components. And the first of these is a, a theory-based um, video. And the video is, um, we've called it a guide, a, a, a patient safety guide for patients and families. And it incorporates behavior change techniques that are linked to the um, theoretical, the, the, the behavior change theories that we identified in, in the um, evidence collation stage of the, the study. Um, the, the video demonstrates a series of suggested patient safety behaviors, basically. So it's a series of, of very, very brief clips of healthcare professionals and patients interacting and patients asking the questions and, and, and asking for clarification, etc. the types of things that we're suggesting that they do. Um, but the video, quite importantly, targets um, key patient-held and healthcare professional-held beliefs that we identified as um, barriers to patient involvement. So this, this belief that um, patients asking healthcare professionals is um, challenging or asking healthcare professionals questions is, is criticizing. So asking questions about, um, say, the medications uh, for clarification of something that's been said to them, patients felt that that was being um, critical and challenging of, of healthcare professionals. Healthcare professionals also told us that they sometimes felt criticized, that they felt overly scrutinized at times. So those kinds of beliefs we, we've addressed within the narrative of the video. Um, so the video targets both um, healthcare professionals and patients in that sense. And the, the reason why we, we came up with the video was because patients told us that um, they'd be quite willing to talk, start taking part, to start to help out. It would help healthcare staff to um, help improve the safety of that if, if they could, if they knew what they, need, what they needed to look out for. So the, the, the video came about as a, a sort of educational tool as well for patients, for them to get an idea of the types of things that they could do once they were on the, on the hospital ward um, to help staff keep them safe. So that's what, the, what, that's what the video does. And it's very much in a pilot um, state at the moment. Um, so for those who are wondering, as I know, people are wondering, well, they can, can they access the video? It's always dangerous to describe a video uh, and even have a picture yeah. uh, of a disc uh, because I'm sure people are like, where is it? Uh, and I can see people are already excited. So uh, can yeah, you I mean, said we, it's... We, in, would, we would really love to share it, but at the moment it's very much in a, in a sort of work in progress. Okay. So it, will, it, will be, it will be modified. All right. So we'll look for it. I'll, I'll promise everyone. You have my word. We'll uh, we'll keep track of this, and uh, at some point, hopefully, we can share it with some others. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So the other the other tool that we developed was this um, what we call a patient held uh, healthcare logbook, um, and the logbook came about because patients also wanted to be able to have some information about themselves that they could take from one. Um, 
uh, one interaction to the next interaction. Pa when patients were thinking about how we would develop this intervention, they were thinking across, right across the whole inpatient in journey rather than just uh, once I arrive on the ward, I could do this then, uh, or perhaps when I'm, when I'm uh, you know, just not sort of pockets of, of interaction. They were, they, were, they were looking at the, long, the whole journey from pre-admission right through to discharge. Um, and, and, and thinking about the types of things that the types of support they would need at different time points across that timeline um, to help them get the information and share the information that they needed to. Um, so the, the logbook has uh, four sections, and one section is a, a section where patients can just write in information about themselves. Um, there's, a, there's a very, very detailed section about um, what you can do to help improve your safety, which basically mirrors what, what the advice that's given in, in the, the video, but it also includes quite specific um, questions, question prompts, the type of things that they can ask, how to ask this question, and what to ask at different time points. Um, it also contains a number of tools, so we have things like um, checklists, admission and discharge checklists, and the aim of those is to help patients um, share information and also receive information that they, they need to know for during, this, during the, their stay and at discharge. Um, they suggested that we put in um, a, a week-to-view sort of diary, a care diary, so that they could log things that they would expect to happen on Wednesday, for example, and that if it didn't happen, then they could raise that with, with the healthcare staff. Um, one of the important things that we included was um, a medications list. So patients who were on elective list were asked to complete that list and bring it into hospital and actually talk to healthcare staff and tell healthcare staff not just what medications they were pre prescribed, but how they how they took them and how often they took them, um, so that the uh, medication reconciliation process would could be more precise. And that that medication list was designed so that if there were any changes to the medications during the hospital stay, prior to discharge, those were logged, so stops and starts in medication could be then transferred into primary care. Um, the other quite integral, um, quite important tool that is within this logbook is, is just a very, very simple notepad for writing questions down. Yep. And this, this came across as a very, very important tool for patients in, in quite a few ways. Um, but we, we might talk about that again okay. later on. And then the, the third component, the, 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 the third component of the, the patient um, aspect of this intervention was this thing that we, we eventually called talk time. And the talk time was something to support the interaction. Ah. So we've got these tools that are helping, helping patients and healthcare staff hopefully exchange information. But one of the issues other than just be having this fear of speaking up, one of the other barriers of actually asking questions is or having opportunities and having the time to sit down with staff because patients don't want to stop busy staff. They don't want to appear to be a nuisance when, when staff are busy. So they said that what they need is an identified time where they can sit down, a dedicated time when they can sit down with a member of staff and they know that that time is for, for um, talking about their care. Mm -hmm. um, so that, those, that was the process that the yeah. patients sort of advised us that would help them get the information and share the information that they needed. Um, but the other thing that we did identify was that staff also need support. So part of that um, support is provided within the, video, within the video because we're targeting their, their beliefs about patient involvement and what it means. Um, but the other thing is we, we um, put together a very, very brief um, theory, evidence and theory-based educational session, um, which basically took staff through um, very briefly, uh, what put placed patient safety in the broader context of what we were talking about and, and what it meant worldwide and not just within their organisation. Um, we explained to them what patients' fears were about about taking 
taking part in and being, becoming more engaged in their care, um, we explained the, the intervention components to them absolutely so that there was no surprises to them when the patients started to arrive on the ward with these logbooks, etc. And then we also explained to them what they could do in terms of fostering engagement with patients, the types of things that they could do with patients on the ward, like saying to them, um, you know, if you have a concern, I want you to ask me this. Mm -hmm. if, 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 I, if I haven't, if, I, if I've um, not washed my hands, I want you to tell me because this will keep you safe. So it was about encouraging healthcare staff really to um, draw out the engagement right. from patients. Susan, thank you. And I know I, I, I asked you to describe <laughs> the, the people who are on this program today have done incredible work in research. Uh, Jane and, and Susan, or Susan's uh, colleague Rebecca, they're going to be presenting this at the London Conference tomorrow. Uh, we'll get up as many resources as we can on our website from today's show and perhaps from the conference itself so that we can continue to follow along. And I, I thank you all for your patience. We ate into some of the Q&A time, but I think it's uh, been good to get this out. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to share uh, the video and the logbook at, at some time uh, as, as it gets refined and it sounds looks like in the chat that many of you are working or have sort of tools that you're mentioning uh, to one another as well all right john very fast let's go ahead let's uh, make sure we get in at least uh, some questions uh and uh just remind people uh looks like folks are pretty uh adept at uh, the chat but just a quick reminder john yeah thanks for chatting in everybody if you have a question for uh any of our guests today make sure that you address the questions to all participants see a lot of you uh, already know how to do that so uh that's a good first step, and here we go. All right. Thanks a lot, John. I'm going to pull one out that I saw as I've been trying to follow along uh, and talk at the same time, which is um, a question about privacy with the logbooks. Um, Susan, is that of any concern at all? Uh, somebody was uh, referring to uh, an effort to do maybe something similar, and staff uh, very, very concerned about information uh, perhaps floating around uh, in, in, in another kind of document. It's interesting. Every time you introduce a new uh, type of thing. People wonder uh, about, you know, who gets to see it and uh, where does it live and what about privacy? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the logbook is, is patient health, so it stays with the patient and it goes home with the patient. Um, so in, in terms of privacy, it, 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 is, it would be entirely up to the patient what they, what they wrote in it. And what the, uh, the entries that, that staff would put in would mostly be around um, information that the patient needed or potentially asked for um, that they needed to take home with them. Um, it, it, it wasn't, there was never um, a suggestion that it would, it would replace the um, nursing notes in any sense. So the nurses would still continue to complete those notes. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, people are asking. Uh, I'm sorry, Marty, go ahead. Yep. Mm hmm. Um, we did some interesting focus groups in the United States a couple of years ago uh, in the design of a patient reporting system here yet that is not yet implemented, but it's in design process. And on the privacy points uh, point, we were surprised to hear a lot of patients say that it's not a big concern to them, especially if they're reporting something. They want their name attached to it because they want to sort of be able to follow um, you know, what's done with their report. They want the feedback to know whether their reporting was heard, whether it was acted on or whatever, and they realized that they would only get that if they attached a name to it. So we were surprised by that. We kind of had an impression going in that privacy would be more important than it was, and it was important to some people. 
but the, the surprising thing was how many people just wanted to be part of change, wanted to be part of making a difference, wanted to see their experience factored in and wanted to track that in some way. Okay, thanks a lot. Um, Jane, is this issue of privacy, I mean, as you were kind of uh, also sort of uh, looking at uh, effective interventions, uh, and uh, was this of concern at all, uh, privacy issues? Um, I think when we were initially developing the ideas, um, we were told very strongly, actually, from patients that they would want it to be an anonymous system, actually. Um, and, I, and I don't know whether that's a, ah, a different sort of cultural thing here. Maybe um, not. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I guess it might be in part due to the fact that we were presenting this very much as an organizational learning tool. So we were very clear from the outset that actually this wasn't about individual action on a particular complaint or a problem that somebody had, but rather that we needed to collate this information in order that a ward or indeed an organization, healthcare organization, might be able to learn from their experiences. So in that sense, um, perhaps, you know, the, the, you know, the request for kind of tracking, as you've, as you've said, Marty, of a particular problem um, becomes less important and people are more able to kind of talk more freely. But then perhaps in talking freely, they, they then want anonymity associated with it. So we've, we've been very clear from the beginning of actually that these, these are anonymous systems, unless, of course, somebody does specifically want their name attached to do something in which case, of course, we would we would respect that. Jane, in your research, to what extent are you collecting any information uh, from family members uh, as uh, part of the patient's uh, system, advocates, uh, you know, as part of that whole team experience? So when you look at the, when we're looking at the praise feedback or anything else, uh, is this only from the patients themselves or is this some of this provided by family members or friends? Well, the lion's share of the um, information is provided by patients themselves, um, and that is in part a function of it being a research project, and, and, and of course you have to consent individual patients, so it's, it's been slightly more difficult to, to get family members in, in some ways involved. However, we have undertaken this work in um, pediatrics, and, uh, and of course, therefore, we've been able to speak to family members, you know, um, of the, of the uh, children or, or indeed young adults who've been on those wards. And there's very much a sense, obviously, that, 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 that families want to be involved. Um, I think that uh, part of the issue with getting families involved, of course, is, is for those patients who don't have family members who are visiting them or they, they or don't visit them very often. And, and we've been very clear that actually we want perhaps in those circumstances, other patients also to, 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 to act as the eyes and ears for patients on the ward. So whilst we ask patients to reflect on their own experiences, we're also very much saying, or the experiences of others that you have witnessed on the ward. So we're trying to engage patients not just, you know, uh, to, to act as a sort of, you know, to, to reflect on their own experiences, but also to to consider actually how the, you know, other patients might be affected or, or the safety concerns they have for other patients on the ward. So we're trying to be as inclusive as possible, and it's certainly something that we'd like to take further in, in future research is, is a, perhaps a more, um, in, you know, inclusive um, family approach. 
Okay. Thank you. There is a question somebody has asked whether slippery floors or lack of uh, hand sanitizers might be something that people could comment on. And um, Jane, I hope I'm not going out on a limb here in answering. It seems yes. And one of the things, uh, uh, just a little description fell off one of Jane's slides where somebody did report that a patient was in a day room, went to the bathroom, and then tripped over a wheelchair, um, for example. So something uh, that might have been in the in the way. Um, and uh, so I, I would imagine that the the environment and whether the environment is safe, uh, no less hand hygiene, would be all parts of things that patients could report on. Is that true, Jane? It is true, and I think what's, what I wasn't able to kind of get across in my whistle-stop tour of our research <laughs> yeah. has been that actually um, at every point we've been going back to patients. And so with particularly with, you know, with all the questions that we were asking, the patient measure of safety, Yes, we went to the literature and identified what the kind of main contributor, or indeed what the contributory factors were that had been identified in the literature to, to medical error, if you like. Um, but at all points, we were then going back to patient representatives and saying, and which of these do you feel able to actually comment on? So the, the patient measure of organizational safety is very much based on not what we as researchers or indeed what clinicians think that patients can report on, but actually what patients themselves have said that they can report on. We've also we also undertook a, 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 you know, a, a large number of interviews where we just went out and spoke to patients about their experience of, 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 of care, really, and not even specifically associated with, with safety. And from that, we pulled a lot of information um, from those interviews that were able to say, well, actually, you are identifying these things. You just don't necessarily know because we're couching it under the banner of safety. So it was a kind of two-pronged approach and um, so anything we're asking in that questionnaire is very much based on what patients themselves have said that they can they can answer but what is we know from the evidence are things that can potentially contribute to future error. Okay thanks a lot Jane. Marty I have a question for you and uh, what evidence do we have that uh, all the work uh, well, it's going on in the UK, other countries here in the US, the things that you've laid out. Is, is the research evolving uh, that can begin to show uh, to what degree patient engagement uh, accelerates improvement, reduces harm, reduces costs, etc.? Are, are we, is that still a very nascent field? I know there's, there's stuff out there, but how would you assess it so far? I think it's nascent, but it's gearing up. So um, there are, you know, small studies out there. There's some evidence, as I understand it, um, that patient engagement in hand um, hygiene programs can produce um, some modestly better outcomes. Um, there's a, a project going on right now um, at the National Patient Safety Foundation to really survey all of the patient engagement strategies for which we have evidence. I think there's some kind of report that's under review there that will be published um, hopefully soon. I don't really know when, but I keep asking and I keep being told soon. <laughs> so that's good. And then the other kind of thing that's happening in this country is we have a new um, research institute called the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute that's very well funded. And, our re and their, their mission really is to um, look at research from the point of view of the patient and, and, and really have it structured by the outcomes that patients want. And they're not devoted to safety, but they've got a big um, part of their uh, platform that is, um, that is devoted to systems improvement, which is where safety will come in. Mm -hmm. And there's a very prominent patient safety advocate, Susan Sheridan, many of you know her, who yeah. has um, 
been um, employed by Pocori to be kind of one of the leaders in shaping that research. So we're excited by that. It's, a, it's really a whole different paradigm in, in really requiring um, that any research proposal that they fund be um, kind of tailored to what patients want and, um, and the outcomes they, they want to see. For all of so our interviews. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Marty. Go ahead. Yep. So, so, so again, a lot of things I think are going to be coming online much more rapidly now than we've, that we've seen come online in kind of the past. Okay, thank you. I, I just want to also say that uh, PCORI, which is a huge uh, new uh, kind of wing of, of work and evidence-based and comparative effectiveness going on in the U.S., maybe with uh, Vicki's help here, we can make sure that that's in our resourcing case for some of our international um, uh, WIHI attendees. Uh, it's not obvious uh, where to go and learn more about that. Uh, quick comment from John, and then we're, we'll, we'll start to wrap up. All right. Thanks, Madge. Um, well, of course, uh, engaging patients is an important part of uh, improving safety, uh, but so is engaging leaders. The September IHI is holding uh, the 19th offering of the Patient Safety Executive Development Program, which we call PSO, designed to help clinical administrative leaders guide their organizations in their patient safety improvement efforts. The PSO will be held September 5th through the 11th, right here at the IHI in Cambridge. For more information, visit IHI.org backslash patient safety. Thank you, John. And uh, I really appreciated <laughs> Jane's reference to a whistle-stop tour uh, of work. I guess that could be our tagline uh, for, for WIHI. You're all really good sports, and you're making a great uh, – I hope you're getting um, a real taste of some really, really interesting work going on uh, here in the States, in the U.K., and you're all referencing a number of things in the chat as well. All right, I want to go around the horn uh, and just start to wrap up with sort of some final uh, thoughts. I think, uh, Jane and Susan, let me start with you. I know you had some uh, take-away messages or take-home messages maybe you wanted to tell us about quickly. Um, I want to just ask you one more question, each of you. Um, you're going to be in a panel tomorrow, and I'm curious, what's the question you hope you get uh, tomorrow, perhaps? Uh, what's the one thing or the one thing you hope people who are there at a conference, you're on the final day, I believe, so people have a lot in their heads already. What are you hoping people are going to walk out the door thinking about most? Susan? Um, well, I think for me um, that they can see the relevance of this approach to their practice and um, they can start thinking about how they could possibly adapt it to the environment they're working. Okay. Uh, Jane, what do you hope? Well, I hope that we can get across that this isn't just another audit or that this isn't just the same data um, dressed up as something else. I really hope that we can get across the novelty of this and that it's focused, you know, that it's based in a theory which um, should help us identify, you know, problems within the system and, and therefore help um, not only understand about things that have happened, but actually help us prevent uh, patient safety problems in the future. Okay, very good. And you did have some uh, take-home messages, um, maybe just just real quickly, uh, Jane or Susan, uh, maybe just sort of short versions of this. Well, the first thing is very much I hope, I hope that Susan and I have been able to convince people that actually patients are in a position to be involved in their treatment, the quality and safety of their care, and that um, you know patients do actually want to ask questions about um, their care or, or indeed report on the quality or the safety of their care. Um, but very much that 
the need to be um, when you're you know when you're developing an intervention or initiative that is, is around quality and safety and patient involvement specifically that you do need to acknowledge and, and try to address the needs of both patients and staff in that implementation because if you're not doing both um, it will sound you know uh, not, well, not not a great chance of being uh, you know taken up in the long term. Okay, very good. Well, I think these are, Marty, uh, you know, there's so much uh, we could all talk about. Thank you, Jane and and Susan both. Uh, Marty, I know, kind of what are your sort of takeaway? We have a lot of stuff that you laid out here that we can all uh, watch. One of the things Marty and I talked about when we were prepping as we were even thinking about the hand hygiene issue, and I asked him whether uh, he felt that in a way the pendulum had sort of shifted back and people were saying, uh, stop putting so much burden on patients, uh, providers out there. Um, it's time that uh, we, we get this right. And maybe as that is just fodder, Marty, what are some of your parting thoughts? Well, that is, um, you know, that is a concern. I mean, we do hear from patients that, um, you know, they've got a lot in their hands and just managing their, their care or the care of the people they love. But at the other hand, we see a terrific amount of enthusiasm for people who want to be involved. And I think, the, again, the exciting thing here is just to see if that involvement leads to better outcomes. So um, the metrics that we're going to be tracking, it's just a first, first time out tracking it with, um, through the partnership for patients, but it should produce some pretty exciting metrics by the end of the year. All right, wonderful. Well, thank you, Marty Hatley, Jane O'Hara, Susan uh, Chrysos. This has just been terrific. I uh, wish uh, Susan and Jane and team uh, good luck uh, with the rest of the conference and your presentation tomorrow. I I really uh, so thankful for your time at the end of your day, Marty Hatley, bringing some of your expertise into our discussion. Uh, We try and sort of migrate out from our uh, audio today onto Facebook uh, with some comments. Uh, feel free to put some up there as well. Don't forget about all the tweeting. Next up on WIHI on May 2nd, we're going to be looking at some interesting new uh, resourcing and ways to kind of help uh, people who are aging remain in the communities. We're going all the way up to South Georgian Bay, Canada, at least virtually speaking, uh, to learn about a really interesting program, Home for Life, and that info is now up on the website. Just uh, as a reminder, we can't seem to say it enough because we know how eager and how appreciative you are of the resources. You can get the chat, the slides we used, all the re- some additional references that we'll put up there uh, by tomorrow morning on IHI.org. If you're in a hurry right now, you can ask for some of this from info at IHI.org. Uh, uh, and again, look for the audio of the program and share it with uh, folks uh, you know. The people who help make WIHI possible, it does seem to be growing. Mike Sweeney, Jameson Case, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Vicki Minden, John Gothier, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Matt Morrison, our Northeastern Co-op, Nicole Wells. Big special thank you today to Yael Gill and Beth Solomon over there in London. Thank you both. We have some fun original music that opens and closes the show. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care, most of all, for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone.